0: Welcome to Bite Size Seminary. This is a podcast where we discuss issues in biblical studies, theology, ministry engagement, and following Jesus. With new episodes every other week, we'll dive into the biblical text, discuss resources, book reviews, and interviews. I'm J.C. Schroeder. I'm an instructor at the Ezekiel Project School of Evangelism and a THM student at Grand Rapids Theological Seminary. I hope that we can encourage each other to live and read Scripture more faithfully. If you want to be challenged by new ideas and encouraged by old ones, then keep listening. Today, we're going to talk about how to read the Gospels better. We'll look at four characteristics of the Gospels and how they influence our reading of them. Let's dive in. Recently. I watched a short clip on YouTube from the Lord of the Rings trilogy. It's that scene in the third movie, Return of the King, where Aragorn gives this powerful speech to his troops at the Black Gate to stand fast and hold their ground. Oh man, it's such a good scene. Okay, maybe I just took a short break and watched the clip again. The point though is that I can enjoy that scene, but its real emotional punch is when you watch the whole film, and it leads up to that powerful scene. The same is true when reading the Gospels. If I'm being honest, I did not appreciate the Gospels as whole books until rather recently. I enjoyed the various scenes of the Gospels, but I wasn't really sure how to put them all together. To continue the metaphor, I was just watching YouTube clips and not the whole movie. So today, what I want to look at is these four characteristics of the gospels and how they influence how we read the gospels so here we have the four characteristics of the gospels what makes a gospel well number one they are historical number two they are narratival number three they are theological and number four they are virtue forming now we'll cover these individually and i will just want to highlight here that i'm drawing on the works of mark strauss in his book Four Gospels, One Jesus, as well as Jonathan Pennington's book, Reading the Gospels Wisely. Both are just fantastic books, and I would highly recommend both of them. So let's look at the first category, the first characteristic of a gospel, historical. What I find very interesting is that the gospels have close parallels to other ancient genres in ancient literature, and so they fit broadly within the category of ancient biography. Now, these biographies work differently than how we think of biographies. You know, when we think of modern biographies, it's going to give you so much information. I remember I read the biography of Harry S. Truman, and it seemed like there was like 50 pages just on Harry Truman's grandparents. Like, that's great. I'm not super interested in them. I'm more interested in what happened in World War II. This is too much information for me. But that's necessary if you want to have a rich modern biography. Ancient biographies were not so. They emphasized different elements of the story that they wanted to portray. Uh, And with these, the Gospels are mimicking this genre in their own depiction of Jesus. In telling the story of Jesus, they are taking on this genre of ancient biography to tell the story of Jesus. And what's interesting about the ancient biography genre is that it has this expectation of history. It's not meant to give this fanciful sort of projected image or made-up image of these mythological creatures or mythological characters. They were meant to tell real stories about real people, what they did and what they said, and how that influenced their lives and and the lives of others. And that's the same genre that the Lord has led the human authors to choose to write the story of Jesus. So that's very interesting as we think of the historical nature of the Gospels, that when, they, when the Gospel writers are speaking about Jesus, they're not just making up facts, they are seeking to tell true stories uh, and give the true teachings of Jesus in them. What's also interesting as we think about the historical nature of the Gospels and as we read them is for us to think about what was life like in ancient Israel, for the original readers, for people that were living around Jesus, what was life like for them? Um, Because life was very different for them than it is for us. There are many similarities, but there are some major differences as well. And so what we want to do when we're thinking of reading the Gospels historically, we want to situate ourselves in their time and their place. So we want to think about what did, what does it look like to be a Jew in the first century? What sort of cultural or religious dynamics are in play as we read the Gospels? One of my favorite examples of this is from Mark 3.18. Here you have the listing of the 12 disciples that Jesus chooses. Within this list, you have this odd intersection of cultural dynamics. So, for instance, you have Matthew, listed as one of Jesus' disciples, who we know is a tax collector. And then you also have Simon, who was a zealot. Not not Simon Peter, but a different Simon. He was a zealot. Now, the tax collectors were uh, very much pro-Roman, or at least were working closely with the Romans. And the zealots were not 100% sure of all their ideology, but they were decidedly anti-Roman. So, you have these vastly different political perspectives uh, existing within the disciples of Jesus. And so you can just imagine what sorts of conversations that they would have as they're on their road and on their ministry. And Jesus, as he brings these two different political ideologies together as his disciples, he even reshapes them. He doesn't adopt one or the other. He is reshaping both of them. And so something like an innocuous sort of listing of the 12 disciples can have greater impact when we think of who are these individuals and what are their backgrounds. Now, one of the great tools to help with this is the—a couple different tools—is the Cultural Background Study Bible, as well as the IVP Bible Background Commentaries. Both are great resources. They're not very expensive, and they help immerse us into the world of the Gospels and the rest of the Bible. So that's our first characteristic of the Gospels, historical. The second one is narratival. Now, Microsoft Word tells me that's not a word, but I'm going to say it is a word. Uh, narratival. So we're reading the Gospels as narratives. Uh, sometimes I think what we do when we're reading the Gospels as people who want to affirm the historicity of the Bible and of the Gospels we, we think of the Gospels as only history, that it just tells us just the facts, ma'am. Uh, just, you know, he, Jesus did this, Jesus did that, and he said this, and he said that, and that's that's all that's really being, that's going on here. But when we pay attention to the Gospels more carefully, we see that these are indeed shaped documents. They are documents uh, that are telling stories. Like each individual Gospel writer, they are giving us history the historical facts of Jesus, but they are doing so in creative ways. And they are uh, weaving this narrative of Jesus's life into this fabulous story. And they do so with different emphases. And so paying attention to the Gospels as stories is very, very helpful. So when we read a story, we read it holistically, right? We don't just pick certain parts out of a story. We read the whole story. And the same should be true when we read the Gospels. Another thing, as we think of reading narratively, is paying attention to characterization. Characterization, if I can even say that word, uh, it deals with when you are thinking of how is a character portrayed? Are they portrayed positively, negatively? What sort of aspects, what uh, pressures are placed on them? And you're thinking of how is the author portraying this individual? And so when we're thinking of reading narratively, a couple of questions we want to think of as we just saw, how is this person portrayed in this way? And then we also want to think about why is this scene placed here? So we have a much larger narrative of of Jesus in the Gospels, but we want to think about why do we have this scene right here? And if we compare the different Gospels, we can see that the order, the chronology of the Gospels can vary. There's an overall agreement on their chronology sometimes different stories are placed in different orders for different emphases that the authors are seeking to give us in their different gospels. So one example of this, I really like this example is that you have when we're paying attention to how the author is telling the story is sometimes we, this can work on small scale and other times it can work on larger scale. So one large scale example, it's in the book of Matthew, and Matthew gives the story of Jesus's birth, and the angel coming to both Mary and Joseph, and the angel tells tells them he says uh, to name them Emmanuel, right? And he quotes that verse, or uh, to name them Jesus, but he quotes that verse in Isaiah. And saying that his name shall be called Emmanuel, which means, and then Matthew explains this for us, which means God with us. And then how does the gospel of Matthew close? You have Jesus standing after he's been raised from the dead. He's standing with his disciples and he says, I will be with you always. And how, even to the end of the age, like what a great promise that is from the Lord. So what Matthew has done, he has very artistically and narratively is that he has inserted these two comments about God being with us. You have Emmanuel, and then he closes to start his, his, his story, to start his gospel. And then he closes it with describing Jesus is with us always. What a great promise. And so when we are being sensitive to the narrative effects of the gospels, we can see cool things like that. So far, we have historical and narratival Characteristics. And then third, we have theological. These are, and it's important for us to recognize that these documents that we have are, again, shaped documents. They're not bare history. And they're not just stories, right? They have an agenda. Uh, sometimes people will talk about the Gospels and they'll say, oh, well, we, you know, you can't trust the Gospels because they're biased. And I would say, yeah, you're right. They they are biased, but you can trust them because they are indeed historical. That's going back to our first characteristic. But as we think about the Gospels, that they are shaped documents, that they they do have a, an intention. They're trying to teach something. They do have their own bias. It just happens to be the bias is the one that comes from God. And so it's the right one, I would argue anyways. And so as we're thinking about the Gospels as theological documents, they are theological documents treatises and sometimes we think of we get our theology from Paul or from the epistles and that's where we get our theology from but really uh, that is true we do get our theology from from Paul and from the epistles but we also get that from the gospels the gospels are presenting a specific vision of who Jesus is it's they are trying to teach us uh, what they want us to know about Jesus and about the Lord so when we're thinking of the Gospels as Theological Documents. We want to think about what is the intention of this text? What is it trying to teach us or encourage us to believe? One of my favorite examples, I've been doing a lot of work on the Gospel of Mark lately, and one of my favorite examples is in the very first verse of the Gospel of Mark, Mark 1.1. It says this, the beginning of the Gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And then you have the follow-up verse in verse 11, where when Jesus is baptized, you hear this voice, or Jesus heard this voice coming from heaven, and it's the Father speaking to him. He says, you are my beloved son, with you I am well pleased. And so what Mark is doing is he's presenting Jesus, not just as, here's this guy who came and died, but when you looked at Jesus, he looked like a man, but in reality, he is the very son of God. And the father confessed him as his son and the pleasure that the father had in the son. And uh, I just, I love that, that perspective. Like right from the beginning, Mark is just lays his cards on the table and says, all right, Jesus is the son of God. Let's talk about what that looks like. And then he dives right into the story of Jesus. So you can see of how all of these Different characteristics work together, and we want to be careful of not privileging one over the other. So we have historical, narratival, and theological. And then our fourth and final one is virtue forming. Virtue forming. And this one comes specifically from Jonathan Pennington's book, Reading the Gospels Wisely. And there's an interesting quote from another ancient author named Plutarch, and he wrote ancient biographies, actually. So he uh, mimics, or not mimics, uh, the Gospels follow in this genre uh, that Plutarch is embroiled in or is involved in. He writes in this. And Plutarch specifically mentions in his biography of Alexander the Great that his goal in writing his lives in his ancient biographies, he wrote many of them, was to show the virtue or perhaps the vice, uh, or really he's seeking to show the character of his subjects. That's his goal. And so there's this expectation of ancient biographies that they are not just there to show, here's what this guy did. Wasn't that interesting? But it was to show, here's what his character was like. Here's how he was a positive character or a negative character. And that has ramifications for us as well. So, The expectation of uh, ancient biography, just in general, was for the reader to adopt the similar lifestyle, to adopt these virtue, or in a negative way, to not adopt these vices that these characters exhibited. This follows as we come to the Gospels, is that part of the expectation of the Gospels as ancient biographies, going back to the historical Idea of the Gospels is that it would form in us the virtue of Jesus. The whole intention of the Gospels is to form us to be followers of Jesus, that we should emulate him. I like this. Part of the DNA of the Gospels is that we should emulate Jesus. And that's not just something that we should do because we're Christians, but that's part of the genre expectations of what they were trying to get at with their writing. So when we are following, seeking to follow Jesus based on the life of Jesus, that's something that Jesus wants to do, but it's also what the gospel writers are trying to get at. So the go- the goal of the gospels are to inculcate His virtue into our lives, and this is done both, I think, actively and passively. Actively, it's it's done in the sense of we're following Him. We see how He lived and how He acted, and we follow Him, and then also passively in the sense of shaping the mindset of the believer, it, it, that we would follow his mindset, follow Christ's mindset, and it would become our own. It shapes our vision of the world, of others, and ourselves. So when we're thinking of, the, of reading the Gospels for virtue formation, we want to think about what does this passage teach me about Jesus and God? And then also, how can I follow Jesus through this passage? Now, one of my favorite examples, I guess I keep saying my favorite examples, but I really enjoy the gospels, so I guess it's all right, is John eleven thirty-five, 35, which is the shortest verse in the English Bible in any right. And it says, Jesus wept. But I love the larger context here. If we just read a few verses before that, it says this. I'm reading from the ESV. When Jesus saw her weeping, And the Jews who had come with her also weeping, this is his friend, Mary, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. So the Jews said, see how he loved him. What I love about John's depiction of Jesus here is that it shows that Jesus was one who deeply cared for those that are around him. You know, if it was me, I'd be walking around like, why is everyone crying? I'm gonna heal him. All right, let's do this. Bang! All right, he's healed. There you go. Now you can all believe me. You know, that's not what Jesus does. He he enters into the pain. Like he knows he's about to heal Lazarus, but he enters into the pain of Mary and of Martha and the other Jews that are there. And it moves him. And so this is so powerful because it, it thinks, it reminds us of the heart that the Lord has for us, that he has for you, that he is moved by the pain that you suffer and that he, even though he has the power to, to solve our problems and he, he can work in our lives and he does work in our lives to minister to us, but he is still moved by the pain that we feel. He's not like some passive objects going like, oh, JC's in trouble again. He knows what we feel and it, it works in his heart. He's moved by that. And I love that attitude of the Lord. And thinking of like in our own lives as we follow Jesus, that when we see others in pain, that should move us as well. Even if we may have a solution for them or maybe we don't, but that that should move us as well, that we should have a deep concern for others. So I think those different factors of virtue formation in in this passage specifically and in generally can be very, very beneficial as we read Scripture. All right, so that's all four characteristics of the Gospels. Historical, narratival, theological, and virtue-forming. I hope you've been challenged and encouraged by these. Let's read the Gospels, not just as little clips, but being sensitive to these four characteristics. But most importantly, as we read, let's be reminded, as Jonathan Pennington says, quote, to read the Gospels well is to submit to their proclamation, end quote. I hope you've enjoyed this episode. Please consider following the podcast and or giving an honest review. We'll see you next time. Thanks for listening.